Shalom, this is Alex Israel uh, from Alon Shvut. Welcome to Tanakh Study. Today we're going to be studying chapter 14, Parak Yudalad of Parshat Lech Lecha of Bereshit. And we're going to be studying a very enigmatic and strange uh, story about the four and five kings. Um, this is really unusual because we're going to start seeing uh, a huge amount of back history um, about something which seems like a very strange war between Mesopotamian kings and local kingdoms seems to have nothing to do with the Avram story and then Avram is going to appear to us as a warrior as a man of war certainly a way that we haven't seen him until now and I think one of the questions that we're going to ask ourselves is what exactly is this story doing in the um, series of of episodes and narratives of Avram as we've seen here in Lech Lecha. Just to give a bit of inside uh, introduction to the story, uh, largely we're going to see uh, three scenes here. We're going to see for the first 12 Psukim the background to the war, the campaign of the four kings. Uh, this first 12 Pesukim might even be divided up further to the campaign of the four kings and then their war with the five kings in the uh, Valley of Sodom, in the Jordan Valley. Then we're going to see in the in the last 12 Pesukim of, of this chapter how Avram goes to war to save Lot and then the uh, return from war where he's confronted with two kings, uh, Melech Sodom and Malkitzedek Melech Shalem, the king of Sodom and the king of Shalem, and the interesting interaction between them. So this is what we're looking forward to, and let's take a look at the Perak. It was in the days of Amraphel, the king of Shinar, Shinar is in Bavel, Aryoch Melech Elasar, Kedor Laomen Melech Elam, Vetidal Melech Goyim. We have these four kings who come from far off, some even suggest maybe from Persia, maybe from Turkey. Certainly Shinar is in Bavel. So we have four Mesopotamian kings or four kings from far off. And they are Asumil Chama et Bera, Melech Sedom, et Birsha, Melech Amora, Shinav, Melech Adma, Beshem Eve, Melech Tzvoyim, or Melech Bela, Hitzor. In other words, we have five local kings. They have interesting names, Bera and Birsha. Rashi noticed that all these five kings, who are the kings of the five towns of the area of Sodom and Amorah, I have to say, we call them kings, but, you know, we'd really consider them to be local sheriffs or mayors, uh, Rashi Moetzal, something like that, because these aren't really considerably large metropolises. So we have Rashi saying that Bara means Rala Shamayim Varala Biyot, the, the, the king of uh, Sodom is Bara with evil. The king of Amora is Bresha. Um, the king of um, of uh, Ad, uh, Melech Adma is Shen Av. Sonei Aviv Shebashamayim hates his father in heaven, etc., um, etc. Et All these names seem very negative. So we've got four kings from Mesopotamia and five local kings. They all come together in Yam HaMelech at the Valley of Sidim, Shtemisrei Shana. Now we have the larger story, which is for 12 years, 
They pay tribute to Kedorla Omer and his coalition, the Mesopotamian coalition. In the 13th year, these five kings in the Jordan Valley rebel against the Mesopotamian kings. And in the 14th year, Kedorla Omer and all his kings come. And now we're going to see a long campaign that happens here. Now I have to say, it seems like it is not only the five kings who rebel against Kedorla Omer, but we will see these five kings take a route um, through Eva Hayaridain. It's actually a very extensive route. And for kings to be able to take a route like this is, is quite remarkable. Uh, they would have to have huge means at their disposal and an enormous army in order to engage in this route. But essentially what they're doing is taking back control over what we call the Derech HaMelech, the King's Highway, which goes through the mountain country of Eva HaYardain, uh, through the highlands there. And it's one of the most important trade routes from Mesopotamia down to Egypt. And this is the route that they take. It says, They first uh, defeat the Rafaim in Karnaim, up in the Golan, and the Zuzim in a place called Ham, and Aimim in Shavei Kiryatayim, Betachori Baharam Seir, moving further down south, the Chori in Seir, Ad El Paran Asher Al Hamidbar. They've just gone through from north to south all of the Transjordan. By the way, most people think that they go all the way down, almost down to a Lut, and then come back to Kadesh Barnea. They even defeat not only the Amalekites, but the Amorites, who are in Chatzatzon Tamar, which we know from other places in Tanakh, is Ein Gedi. In other words, these kings, they're not even interested in the, um, the, the, the towns in the Jordan Valley. They go on a long campaign reclaiming, as I say, the, the highway route, the king's highway, which leads from Mesopotamia to Egypt. They don't like the fact that the, this region, which they have previously controlled, is not paying its taxes anymore and possibly causing trouble to the caravans um, and the, the trade routes. And they come to um, restake their claim and really destroy most of the uh, local forces. And suddenly they find themselves at Sodom. It's, again, it's not clear where Sodom and Amora are. Many people think that Sodom and Amora are south of the Dead Sea. That's very difficult from this story because if these uh, this uh, this uh, Mesopotamian coalition makes its way up to Chatzatzon Tamar in Engedi. They would have passed Sodom and Amorah. Other people want to claim that Sodom and Amorah is further north. They gain this from the previous story, where if you recall, they talk about Sodom and Amorah being in the Kikar Hayardain and also visible from Beit El. So maybe it's further north, north of the Dead Sea, uh, in the Jordan area. Whichever way, uh, I'm not getting into the geography too much. Um, it says that, p verse 8, Pasuk Chet, 
These five kings come out to wage war um, between uh, in this valley of Sidim together with When you line them up and you say four kings against the five it sounds like an equal uh, lineup of forces, but frankly, to be talking about these huge imperial forces from Mesopotamia fighting with these five local uh, kings, it really is a mismatch. We're talking about a, a sort of a very, very lightweight force against a huge, heavyweight um, imperial um, army, and therefore, we might not be surprised at the at the result. The result is that they don't really even fight. Let's see, Pasuk Yud. We're told that the Valley of Sidim has all of these uh, clay pits. Um, even today, the Dead Sea area has sinkholes. It seems like they line up for war, but very soon, all of the local forces of the five cities of the Sodom area the some of them hide out in in pits underground go down into underground shelters other flee for the hills and therefore there's nothing there's no real resistance and what happens is that these mesopotamian kings you know they're agitated why were they giving us resistance so what do they do they simply loot the whole valley we know from the previous story that um Lot saw this valley, it was irrigated. They have a tremendous food stores, they're wealthy. And this is indeed what these four kings take with them, probably also to feed their armies. And therefore they take all the Rukhush Sodom, they loot the area of Sodom Amora, and all their food. Interesting, they take that. As I say, an army marches on its stomach. Not only that, and here we get to the critical point for our purposes, they take Lot and all his possessions, all his wealth, um, the nephew of Avram, and they go over who Yoshev Sodom. I have to note that Lot before, in the previous chapter, he was living on the outskirts of Sodom, still a sheep farmer in his Ohel. But now the Hu Yosheb Sodom, he has sold out of the sheep business and is now living in Sodom as a full resident. Uh, a refugee from the war comes and tells Avram, who here is described as Avram Ha'ivri, the Hu Shochein Be'elonei Mamrei Ha'emori, and he is living in Elonei Mamrei. Of the Emirate Achieshkov Achianer Vahim Baalev Ritavram. He is living in the a place known as the the Oaks of Mamre. And Mamre is the brother of Eshkol and the brother of Aner. And these are the Baale Vrit Avram. They have a covenant with Abraham. I'm gonna stop here for a minute and just comment on these phrases. First of all, we already saw at the end of chapter 13 that Avram had gone to Elonei Mamre, Asheb Chevron. Why did he move there? I know God had told him, Kum v'hitalech ba'aretz, walk around the country to its length and its width, but why particularly to Chevron? 
And if you know the geography of Israel, it's likely that Hebron overlooks Sodom. And it could well be that he actually moved down to Hebron. He had told Lot that if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, go to the right. It's true that Lot had rejected Eretz Kanaan and gone into the valley. And yet it seems that Avram still shows an active interest in Lot. So much so that the refugee from the war, when he wants to give somebody news about the whereabouts of Lot, knows to find Avraham, Avram and to give him the news. I think that's remarkable, that Avram is still caring for Lot, as we'll see from this story. The second detail that we see here is that Avram has a Brit. He has a covenant with people called uh, Mamre, Eshkol and Aner. And you've got to wonder what is the nature of this covenant that he has with them. Is it sort of a, a monotheistic covenant? Because we're going to see at the end of chapter 17, when uh, Avram engages in circumcision, it, he um, he circumcises uh, all the people of his house. Avram, He circumcises all the people in his house, uh, all the people of his clan, and Chazal uh, have a tradition that it was Mamre who uh, told Avram exactly how to perform circumcision. I sort of wonder about whether Avram is some sort of guru who has created a monotheistic um, enclave together with these people. Because look what we see in the next Pasuk. Who goes to war with him? Avram hears that his uh, relative, here it calls him his brother, but it's really his nephew, that Lot has been captured, and he summons all of his chanichav, all of his, and you know, in, in youth group language, a chanich is somebody you do chinuch to, somebody you have initiated, somebody that he, uh, that, that you have educated, and we, here we talk about Yili Dei Beito. As I say, that's exactly the phrase that's used at the end of the parsha. These are the people who eventually are given Brit Milah, Yili Um How many of these Chanichim Yili Dei Beito, how many of these people that Avraham has educated who have been born in his household? How big is this clan of Aner Eshkol Umamre? Answer, Shmona Asar Shloshmiot. There are 318 men of fighting age who go together with Avram by Yerudof Adan. They pursue all the way up north by Yechalekalehim Laila. At night they divide into different divisions. Huva Avadav, him and his servants, by Yakeim. Vayirudofemad Chova, he chases them to a place called Chova, Ashemismol Ledamasek, which is north of Damascus. In other words, they chase them right up the Jordan Valley. The likelihood is he's not chasing the army. He's probably chasing... Uh, you know, the army probably goes forward to make further conquests and what have you. And this is a much slower force who have all of the uh, captives who are more moving at a slower pace. Uh, women and children. We've already seen that, uh, that, w that, that they sort of loot the whole area. And uh, later we're going to see how Avram... Uh, well, let's read the next pasuk. Vayashevet kol Avram brings back... All of the possessions of Sodom, that gamet lotachiv, urachushoishiv, and also Lot and all his possessions, the gamet hanashim, the etaam. If we're talking about women and all of the people, we're 
talking about people who move slower, and therefore it's likely that what Avram does, which is 318 men, is attack probably the, the force which is bringing back all the spoils and all the loot, and the human, uh, you know, the, 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 the people who are going to be sold in the slave markets or used as slaves. Avram goes with 318 men. This is very reminiscent of the story of Gid'on, which we see later on in the book of Shoftim, who with only 300 men splits into uh, three divisions and at night attacks the enemy and they flee in in in, in fright during the night. Um, Avram here attacks with 318 men, and the reason why I'm suggesting that he attacks the, you know, the prisoners of war camp is because, I, again, I find it difficult to believe that a well-trained army of a Mesopotamian uh, force which has managed to wreak havoc all around the Transjordan to defeat very significant nations. I should mention that the Rafa'im we know from later on in Devarim are a are a, a group of giants. So it's difficult to imagine that Avram with 318 men could defeat a well-trained army, but he certainly could uh, attack at night a a prisoner of war camp and take back the spoils and the prisoners and uh, you know likely the people who are guarding that aren't exactly the most highly trained warriors so I imagine that this is what we're dealing with and now we get to by the way notice how the text talks about all the time um, Lot 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 and his possessions and it seems like um, this emphasis on possessions materialism is very important to Sodom as we will see but it is also uh, of very great importance to Lot and we spoke about that last time but I think the text by repeating this and Avram returns Lot and his Ruchush um, I think is, is making a deep statement here uh, we're now going to get Avram has Return the captives of war, Lot himself, all the possessions, the women and the children. And now we're going to see the final scene. Vayet, Avram comes back, the victor. I should say that uh, also everything should belong to him by the ancient laws of war. Avram is the, uh, has fought and therefore all the spoils of war belong to him. The human uh, capital and also the the all of the booty this is what happens here we go the king of Sodom comes out to meet him after he has defeated Kedor and all the kings to another valley the valley of Shaveh which is the valley of the king and we're sort of waiting for what Melech Sodom is going to say to him and suddenly we get interrupted by another king. O Malkitzedek, Melech Shalem. Malkitzedek, the king of Shalem, Hotzilechem Veyayin, brings out bread and wine. Now, of course, I have to say that we'd expect Melech Sodom to be coming out with gifts to Avram and to praise him and to thank him. We don't hear a word from Melech Sodom, but instead Malkitzedek brings out bread and wine. And now we're told that Malkitzedek is a Kohen Le'el Elyon. He is a priest to the Supreme God. We don't know who this God is, but we're going to see it's a monotheistic deity. He blesses Avram and says, Baruch Avram le'el elyon. May Abraham be blessed to the most supreme God, Konei Shemayim 
Here kone doesn't mean to acquire, it means to create. Who has created the heaven and the earth? Sounds good, and many of you will recognize this phrase, El Elyon Kone Shomai Ba'aretz from our Magen Avot Tefillah on Friday night. Clearly we adopt this phrase. The, the supreme God who is the creator of heaven and earth is our God too. Avram has found an ally with Malki Tzedek. Who is this king? We say he is the king of Yerushalayim. Later on we find in Tehillim Shalem, Vayhi B'Shalem Sukkot, Umaronato Mitzion, the Shalem and Sion are the same place. Malki Tzedek is his name. In the book of Joshua we find that the king of Jerusalem is called Adoni Tzedek. And it could well be that Malki Tzedek is indeed the king of Yerushalayim. Whichever way, Vayvarachehu, he blessed him and says, Baruch Avram el elyon kone shamayim aretz, uvaruch el elyon, and may God, the supreme God, be blessed, Hashem migain sarecha beadecha, who delivered your enemies in your hand. Vayitain lo ma'aser mikol, and he gave him a tenth of everything. Who gave who a tenth? My assumption is that Avram gave Malki Tzedek a tenth, because Malki Tzedek is a Kohen, and you give Truma to the Kohen. Of course, it's ambiguous, whichever, but Notice, Melech Sodom now should come along and also be bringing out bread and wine and praising him. Look at the first words Melech Sodom says. First thing he says is, give me. You know, Melech Sodom before came out with this sort of bravado, the Arba Melachim against the Chamisha, the four kings against the five, almost as if him and his flimsy army could defeat the great forces of Kedor Omer, and now once again, and of course he was shown to be just a coward and running off into these clay pits, running into his bunkers in order to hide. Here again, he sounds silly when he's meeting the victorious Abraham, and what does he say? Give me the people, and you can take all the possessions. And Avram responds, and he responds using the language of Malki Tzedek. Harimoti yadi el Hashem el elyon I raise up. Look what he does so beautifully, Avram. I raise my hand to Hashem Yudke Vavke. That's Avram's name for God, but he joins that to Malki Tzedek's name for God. Yudke Vavke el Hashem el elyon Here I found my ally. from a string to a shoelace, or as. Um, I once heard from Raviol bin Nun, the chut is the string which holds the kafir on your head. The srochnal is your shoelace. From head to toe, I will take nothing of yours. Don't, I don't want you to say, I made Avram wealthy. Please give the expenses and the uh, whatever the, um, to Aneresh Kolum Amre. All the people who came to war with me will be paid off, but I don't want anything from you. We have to discuss this story and what this story really means. But let me begin maybe with the end. The story ends with Avram meeting two kings. And Avram is given a, a, a choice. A choice between does he go with Melech Saddam or with Malki Tzedek. First of all, Melech Saddam is, comes from Saddam who are evil. We remember in the previous chapter, The people of Sodom were wicked and sinful to God 
Ma'od, excessively. The other thing is, we've seen what sort of a person the king of Sodom is. Tainly, uh, he, all he thinks about is his rechush, his, his property. And what Avram eventually does is he says, if I have a choice between Malkit Sedek, between Sedek, righteousness, and Sodom, between somebody who comes along and talks about God and somebody who can only talk about possessions and wealth, I know exactly where I stand. If I can deal with the righteous monotheistic Malkitzedek, um instead of the um, evil king of Sodom, I know exactly where my cards lie. Here, by the way, Avram could be thinking about God's promises to him. And I have to say, uh, God had promised him that he will be I'll make your name great and he might be thinking wow look I've won this war now's the time for me to become uh, to, to, to capitalize on this great power that I've achieved and to start making deals with local kings but of course what's fascinating is the phrase which is repeated three times um, from Malki Tzedek Baruch Avraham We've already spoken how the word Baruch, which comes up here three times, is actually found five times in the opening blessings to Avraham. Blessing is Abraham's legacy, and the person who does the blessing here is Melech, is Melech, is Malki Tzedek, not Melech Tzedom. And therefore, in this very clear choice, Avram makes his alliance with Malkitzedek. Harimoti Adil Hashem, I take my name for God and join it with the name of uh, El Elyon, Konesha Maimba'aretz, which is used by my monotheistic ally, Malkitzedek. This is tremendously important. And let, let me just say that this tension between Sodom and Yerushalayim features later on in Tanakh. You know, there are times when Jerusalem becomes terribly corrupt, full of bribes and, 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 and evil and murder. And in those cases, as we see in the beginning of Sefer Yeshayahu, Yeshayahu calls the people of Jerusalem and the leaders of Jerusalem, Kitsine Sodom Am Amora, and warns Jerusalem that it is going to be overturned like Sodom and Amora. In other words, there is this dynamic tension between Sodom and Jerusalem, that when Jerusalem becomes evil, it is called Sodom. But the contra, the, the, the contra is also true. There's an amazing uh, passage in uh, Yechezkel, where Yechezkel describes water coming out from Jerusalem and healing the, um, healing the waters of the Dead Sea. And um, this is almost to say, and he talks about how the fishermen will go out from uh, Ein Gedi and will catch fish in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea won't be dead anymore. In other words, Jerusalem can be uh, giving out waters where the waters which it gives out, I'm talking about, by the way, the reference is Yechezkel chapter 47, where uh, Jerusalem will even heal Sodom. So this dynamic tension, Jerusalem can become Sodom, Sodom can become Jerusalem. Uh, the question is, will the powers of Tzedek overpower the powers of Ra and Resha? And that is really a, a very important question, which 
is woven through Tanakh. Okay, well, what are we going to make of this story? And I'm going to give a whole bunch of different explanations of what we might say about how we can relate to this story. Um, approach number one from Professor Kasuta. He notes that here we see a whole series, a whole war campaign by the Mesopotamian kings, which looks incredibly similar to the route that Am Yisrael later take to the Promised Land, as we see in Devarim, Perak Bet and Perak Gimel. And to cut a long story short, Professor Kasuta really goes in the direction that we've heard from the Ramban of Masi Avot Siman Abanim. And he sees almost the idea that Avram here is showing that he has really acquired the land. Avram is really the person who has, uh, in war, taken the land, that lest anybody turn around and say, we don't have rights to all of this land, especially to the land of Eva HaYardin. Um, look at these stories. These stories show us that Avram has actually gained control over the land. Of course, there are other themes which come up from this story. One, as I've already mentioned, which is mentioned by the Radak, the way that Avram cares about Lot. He says, um, to show how Avram was so straight with God. He relied on him. He trusted in God totally that he could even chase alone four kings and also to show how much a person how much a person must look out for his relatives. I have to say we've already mentioned how Avram seems to dote on Lot and really worry about him. He might have even moved to Hebron in order to keep an eye on him. But I find it remarkable that Avram and Lot don't exchange a conversation in this story. It's almost as Lot ignores Avram. Avram saves him, no thank you, no nothing. Um, you might imagine that Lot would abandon Sodom at this point and go back with Avraham, but Lot is worried about his rechush. And it, it's amazing that Lot doesn't seem to repay the favor. He doesn't realize how much Avram cares about him. A third dimension of the story might be Avram as a war leader. We've never seen him in that role, but it might be important for us to realize that this is part of his capability. And maybe the last... Uh, uh, we, we've already mentioned uh, an important detail that we get out of this story is that Avram has made a Brit, he's made a covenant, he's made a sort of religious pact with a group of people, Aner Eshkolom Amre, a pact which is later going to be uh, cemented in them, the Yilidei Bayit, doing Brit Milah. What is the nature of this pact? Is it a, a sort of a monotheistic commune that they have? We really, really don't know, but that's also something that comes out of this story. The last thing that I'd like to say is um, this notion that, you know, we're in the middle of Parashat Lechacha and God is so present, but in this story, God is hardly mentioned at all. And the where, where exactly is God mentioned? God is mentioned by Melchizedek when he says that God was the one, Baruch El Elyon Hashem Migain Sarecha Biadecha, that he is the one who delivered your enemies in your hand. And indeed, this is Avram also says, Harimoti Yadiel Yudke Vavke El Hashem El Elyon The notion that Avram recognizes that he has been victorious through God's power. The notion that 
we see that Avram being recognized by kings seems to be a fulfillment of Va'agad Lashemecha. The notice that the, the, the fact that Malkisedek comes out and blesses him three times is a fulfillment of the promise of Va'avarechacha. So we see that some of the promises of Lechacha seem to be coming through and coming true in this story. Um, I think that's enough for us now. And uh, Be'ezra Hashem, next time we'll be moving on to another very critical chapter, Brit Ben Habtarim, chapter 15.